Hey, good morning, everyone. First, I'm going to apologize for the smoke, but uh, it covers my stink. Um, there's this way that, that uh, it's a metaphor that I love out of the Bible. It's the way that the New Testament describes the people of God or what we call the church. And what it does is, is Paul, in this, this one letter, he, he calls us a body. And when he calls us a body, he doesn't mean it like a body of water or some like governing body or, or something like that. He means like an actual human being, an actual flesh in blood body. That when all of us come together, we're different with different strengths, different weaknesses, different perspectives. We, 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 we serve even different purposes, if you can put it that way. But at some level, we're all connected. And so, when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers with it. And I mean, come on, we know this. I mean, this is our everyday experience. Uh, I mean, you ever break a toe? Or, or just slam it, stub it really bad. I mean, you know, at the end of the day when you think about it, it's just this like little thing attached to the very bottom of my body. It's inconsequential. It's there. It's forgotten. It's not where all the important stuff is, right? And yet, when that little thing gets broken, it hobbles you. I mean, you, you are laid up. Your life is completely turned around and affected because of that. And Paul says that's how it is with the body. When one part suffers, the whole body's affected. We all suffer with it. Now, here in our own body, we've had some people that suffered this past week. Some who were hurt. And the whole body is affected. But it's not really different than any other week. Every single week, there's someone who suffers or who hurts. And whether we directly realize it or not, the reality is all of us are affected because of it. There is this amazing book in the Old Testament that is so forgotten and so overlooked that I've come to speak, see, speaks just so powerfully and so clearly and so candidly into the midst of the realities that all of us face in this world. Because, you know, some of us, we suffer personally. Some of us suffer for someone we care about or know or love. And some of us suffer for the world. But regardless of where our struggle or our suffer, suffering might be, there is this message that the people of old received from God and chose to include that is so often forgotten that I want to share with you Today, throughout this year, I've let you know, we're looking at how to approach the Christian faith, how to deal with the realities of life as followers of Jesus. And what I want to do today, to speak into that, and into how to face the realities of life as we face them, is show you how to read Ecclesiastes. Now, in the Old Testament, you're going to find this book, and if you're not careful, you're going to miss it. 
You're going to flip right by to what appears to be the more important things. It's tucked away in an inconspicuous place. But guys, let me say it again. It is such a powerful, relevant message that speaks into the hard realities of life and the things that we face in our midst. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, it's not called Ecclesiastes. It's called Koheleth. And it's called Koheleth because that's how the book starts. This is how it would read if you were hearing it kind of in Hebrew English, sort of. The words of the Koheleth, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, Koheleth uh, kind of translates out to mean something like someone who gathers people together. It can really kind of apply to any sort of, 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 of leader or, or guide who, who gathers people together or even manager for, for his purposes. But in reality, far more, it translates teacher. And so again, in the NIV, the words of the Koheleth, the words of the teacher, it says, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, this Koheleth, is not the author of Ecclesiastes. The author, whoever he or she might be, is unknown, but instead the Koheleth, who occupies 99% of, of, of the language, is a character within the story that the author invites in to give his or her perspective on the things we face and the realities of life in this world. And what is the Koheleth's message? Over and over again, you are going to find this refrain. Hevel. Hevel. Everything is hevel. One verse two, it says, hevel, hevel, says the Koheleth, utterly hevel. Everything is hevel. A modern-day translation will probably put it this kind of way. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. For you KJV lovers in the crowd, vanity, vanity, all things are vanity, says the teacher. Each and everything is vanity. Meaningless. Vanity. English expressions that are trying to capture Hevel. The refrain that the Koheleth brings again and again. But, but in translation, run the risk while being helpful of leading us to false conclusions. Because what the Koheleth is saying is not that all things in this world are without meaning. What the KJV writers meant when they said vanity was not like, like some dude looking in the mirror just obsessed with himself, but more like that beauty is fleeting. What the writer, the Koheleth, is trying to express by this word, hevel, is that instead all things are temporary. That all things are fleeting. That all things at some level, our enigma, mystery, paradox. 
The concrete imagery that stands behind the word is something closer to like vapor or smoke. Now I'm going to put the magic crystals on this for a moment. And what you're going to see is is smoke start to rise. Can you see it? Now scientifically we know better. But untrain your mind for a moment. Because when you see smoke, would you agree? It appears to have substance. We're seeing something that is in fact here. And it looks as though we can contain it. That we can grab it because it's there and that we can hold it. But as soon as you try to take hold of it, it slips through your fingers. As soon as you think it's yours... It disappears. Hevel. Hevel. All things the Koheleth says are hevel, temporary. Fleeting. All the things we, we attach such significance to. The things that we value, that we find so important, that we, we, we spend our lives on chasing and pursuing and building. What Koheleth tells us is that in the end, it is all just smoke, hevel, vapor, which while here now momentarily will disappear from our eyes. And at best be nothing but the faintest whiff left on the air. Now, why does the Koheleth say this? And why is the author inviting the Koheleth into the story to share this refrain that occurs again and again? Hevel, hevel, everything is hevel. The author is inviting this this teacher in to challenge our views of reality, to deconstruct our ideas of what fundamentally matters and give us a hard lesson in life. And so as you read the book of Ecclesiastes or Koheleth as the Hebrews would call it, you will find this applied to all the things that we value and think matter so much in this world. I want to encourage you to read this book. Not to take my word for it, but to allow the author to, to invite you to engage with the Koheleth yourself. And, and you can turn time and again, wisdom is hevel, toil is hevel, advancement is hevel, riches are hevel, this is hevel, that is hevel. The things that we think matter in this life are smoke that are fading away. Koheleth will say, look at the people who who base their life chasing wealth. Slaving and toiling and saving and scrimping trying to build what they think will bring them meaning, what they think will bring them joy, what they think will bring them freedom or security, only in the end to find that when you're old enough to enjoy it, you're no longer able 
Koheleth will say. And that for those of us who are looking to build a dynasty, to, to, to build a legacy, to pass it on to our heirs, Koheleth will say, within two generations you are a memory. At best. For those of us who chase fame, status, recognition, that what's here so briefly today is often gone in an instant, and within a few generations you're nothing. But at best, a name on a tombstone that no one comes to visit. Hevel. Hevel. Everything is heavily speaks to those of us who pride ourselves on work, who work hard to build something, to create something, to do something that matters, who toil under the sun, only to find that often after a lifetime of what we think has been built, life comes along and dashes it in an instant. And that all the things we poured ourselves into, all the sacrifices we made, and those that we left in pursuit, that as quickly as this smoke is starting to evaporate from your eyes, so everything you built your life upon is fleeting. So is the Koheleth advocating hedonism? pleasure-seeking relativism? No, because Koheleth will say that's Hevel too. Those who live for the weekend and live for the party because Monday always comes. And each of us, no matter how much pleasure we, 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 we bind ourselves to in life, the reckoning always has to be had. Hevel, Hevel. Everything is hevel. Even wisdom and the fear of the Lord, which is elevated to such high degrees, is called hevel by the Koheleth. To those who try to do it right. To those who think that I'm by doing it God's way. Goodness in blessing will result. The Koheleth will admit, well, it might go better for you, but even life itself is too unpredictable. And even things like justice and goodness in this world prove themselves to be fickle, to be fleeting. To those who occupy their lives seeking the answer and poring over books. What does the Koheleth say? Of making of books there is no end, and where do they leave you? Because it is all Hevel. Hevel in the end. The Psalms will call it breath. I love how Isaiah uses this word to refer to nothingness. Deuteronomy will use it to mean worthless. And then, of course, in the beginning of the Bible, there's the story of Cain and Hevel. You know it well. Cain, the one who was supposed to matter. Cain, the one who was supposed to have significance. Cain, the one who was supposed to fix it all. And then there was the other kid, Hevel. Named by his parents as the one that didn't matter much. Insignificant. 
fleeting. Which is the great irony of the story, of course, because it's Hevel who's honored by God. And you see a trajectory started from the very beginning of how God chooses the things that we often think are the fleeting and unimportant and temporary of this world to to bestow with honor and glory and power. No, the author invites the Koheleth in to give us a lesson in hard realities. To confront all the things that we seek to find our meaning in, our identity, that we think matter and are lasting. And to confront our world that apart from God, all things are just. And I don't have to tell you this. You don't need special revelation to figure this out. Angels do not have to be sent and prophets do not have to speak to understand this message. No, no, our world knows this message all too well. The courage to open your eyes and just look at reality as it is is lesson enough. And this is how Ecclesiastes approaches it. Look how it opens. Let me read this to you today. Verse 3, what does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south. It turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, they there return again. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Hevel, Hevel, everything is Hevel. Time goes on. And time doesn't care. The universe goes on. And the universe doesn't care. Have you noticed that? The time remains the undefeated champion. That despite what we attach ourselves to with value and meaning, time moves on, leveling all as Hevel in its midst. Or how about this? How the Koheleth ends. He writes, Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a person may live, let him enjoy them all. But let that person remember the days of darkness. For they will be many. Everything to come is hevel. For the dust returns to the ground it came from. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Hevel, hevel, says the Koheleth. Everything is hevel. Time, death, whatever we do, who escapes from these things? And what endures beyond? It is the hard reality Ecclesiastes invites us to come into. 
and see. Which makes me, of course, want to ask, how you feeling about now? Some of you feel this full well as a way of being. And others of us, I think, well, close our eyes to it and look the other way because of how unpleasant it just seems to be. So does this mean that what the Koheleth is doing is advocating nihilism, despair, and a life mired in depression? How do we live if all things are, in fact, hevel? Hevel. Well, the Koheleth starts by saying this, that the great irony, the paradox, the enigma of this is to simply accept it. To accept the reality that all things are hevel and to accept the reality that so many things are out of our control. Six times in the book of Ecclesiastes, when it seems that the, 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 the teacher is at his bleakest and darkest, He'll shift to talk about how he just accepts the reality of what he faces, enjoying in the moment a friendship, a good meal, or a sunny day. Because for the Koheleth, to live in heaven, one needs to embrace the reality. Because when the Koheleth says, we come to terms with this, we suddenly become free to live our lives as we actually experience them instead of how we think they ought to be. How many of us fight against the wind and fight against time as though the world is in our control and we're filled with frustration, we're filled with anger, we're filled with hurt when life does not turn out the way it's supposed to be. And we curse God and we curse the wind for not placating me and, and doing things the way I say they should, they're supposed to be. No, the Kohelet takes us to a different place and says, he says, life is hevel. And when we embrace that reality, that things are out of our control, we can suddenly begin to find the freedom to live our lives as they actually unfold instead of obsessed and possessed with what we think they ought to be. And yet even from there, it begs the question, what do we then live for? What, how, how does the co-health tell us to live? Is it still just sense of go with the flow, enjoy what unfolds? No, it's fascinating to me how Ecclesiastes ends. The author, stepping back in, after learning from Koheleth says this, not only was the Koheleth wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The Koheleth searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. Now these words, he says, the words of the wise 
are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Do you get that imagery? A goad? And of course you don't because no one uses them, right? Because you're not a shepherd. This is a goad. This is not a goad. This is a shepherd's staff. But this right here, that's a goad. And what I don't mean by that is that in our overly litigious, overly safety-conscious, homogenized American society that puts caps on things, no, because the ancient shepherds would drive nails through the end of them or sharpen them down to a point not to fight off the enemy, though it could be used for that. Not to keep the wolf at bay, but it could be used for that. But to jab you, the sheep, instead. He writes, the words of the wise, how did it go, are like goads. They're collected saying like firmly embedded nails. That the lessons of the Koheleth are a call to reality that hurt. But nonetheless, are meant to shock us back into reality. And bring us back on to the shepherd's path instead. Because in the chasing of Hevel, it's so easy to stray. But how does Ecclesiastes end? Now all has been heard. And here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands because life will go better for you Because you'll be happier by far? None of that. Because it's the duty of man. The Koheleth jabs at everything we set to find our significance in and develop meaning from. And change our focus to something that isn't fleeting instead. For he says God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. What Ecclesiastes invites us to see in the midst of our sufferings, in the midst of our struggles, and in the midst of bald face reality is to stop attaching our meaning and significance and worth to fleeting things. And instead, learn what it means to trust God wholeheartedly, despite what reality brings. It's to change focus from the smoke before our eyes that seems so real and lasting to one who is unseen and yet promises to come in the end to set all things right, to establish justice and goodness and realize his plans and his ways in the end. 
And that is how Ecclesiastes invites us to approach the struggles, the sufferings, and the harsh realities that life brings. I chase so much evil. I know you this much, but I know you do too. 